you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. And here's what we're attempting to learn. We're trying to find the heart behind a healthy relationship with Jesus in this series. Now, for those of us who are married, we're going to learn a lot about marriage from what we learn about Jesus. But here's what we're beginning to understand. When we understand how Jesus loves us, and when we understand how we should respond to Jesus' love, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5 said that lays out a roadmap for us for how we love our spouse. So a very good gauge on whether or not your heart is healthy towards Jesus and your spouse are the questions that we asked last week as we introduced this text. Four questions at the top of your sermon notes. If you haven't already, take those out of your bulletin or you can fire up the Journey Church International app. They'll be on there. Paul said in Ephesians 5, if you want to know how your heart's doing spiritually, if you're married and you want to know how your heart is doing in your marriage, here's some questions to ask. Is this honestly the way you feel? I have found someone in Jesus in my spouse that I want to serve for the rest of my life. I have found someone in Jesus in my spouse that I trust enough to submit to for the rest of my life, that I'm motivated to sacrifice for because of how they sacrificed for me, that I'm committed to add value to because their success and our success is more important than my success. Ephesians 5 said, this is what Christianity looks like in marriage kind of mirrors it. I had some people after last week's marriage text me and say, Christian, I got to be really, really honest with you because I ask all of our people to put a T or an F, true or false by every statement. I had some people text me and say, Christian, I got to be really, really honest with you. I couldn't put true next to every one of those statements for my spouse. Just not where we are right now. And I had some people that emailed and kind of texted last week, said, Christian, I got to be honest with you. I couldn't put true next to every one of those statements about Jesus right now in my life. It's just not really where I am spiritually. So I'm being challenged in my faith and in my marriage by what we're learning. But guess what? There's so much more to learn. So this week and next week, We're going to live in Ephesians chapter 5, trying to break this Bible study apart word by word, trying to learn how Jesus loves us, learn how to accept that love, and then love people in our life, uh, friends, family members, neighbors the same way. And if we're married, we're going to apply this to our marriage as well. So here's what Ephesians 5 says. We're going to start in verse 21, go through verse 33. Paul says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ in the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So I need to speak to those of you who are wives today. But I also need to speak to those of you who are husbands today. I need to speak to those of you who are single today. I need to speak to those of you who are divorced today. I need to speak to those of you who are widows or widowers. I had a widower come up to me after the first service and said, I cannot believe how much I'm learning through this series about my life and even my old marriage. I wasn't even planning to be here for this series, but I'm learning so much 
Really, I need to speak today directly to everybody who's a Christian because there's something for you to learn. Now, if you're not a Christian, two things. One, I'm glad that you're here. Thanks for being with us today. But I hope today you'll learn what Christian love looks like from listening today. So I hope you'll listen through the filter of, okay, I'm not a Christian, but this guy's telling me here's what a Christian is supposed to do. And I hope you learn something about Christian love. And I hope today we learn a lot about the S word in marriage. Now, I would ask you on the count of three to say what the S word in marriage is together. But just in case any of us aren't thinking the same thing, I'll just say it myself. The S word in marriage is the word submit. It's the word submit. I need to teach you today about how to submit, but I've got to be honest, I don't want to preach this message. I actually tried to make Danielle preach this message. When I saw this coming up, I said, you know what? This message is for wives. You're a wife. Why don't, why don't you teach this message to our people? And she said, I don't have time for that. You're, you're going to teach it. And then I thought, you know what? I'm going to find a video of some pastor that I respect speaking on this. And I'm just going to play that video for our church so that it's coming from him instead of coming from me. And then when we had the ice Sunday and I realized that I could shave this sermon series from four weeks down to three. I thought, I'll just kick that one out. Because I don't think anyone really wants to hear a message on submission. I don't think anyone came to church today to hear a message on how to submit. And then God began to talk to me in my spirit and said, Christian, why are you so uncomfortable with this? Why don't, why don't you want to preach this? And I want to invite you into kind of the transparent conversation I had with God as I, as I tried to wrestle through whether or not I even wanted to put together a message on Ephesians chapter 5. I had a mentor tell me that when God's wrestling with you in your heart, one of the great ways to kind of get down to what God's trying to say to you is to ask why seven times and record every one of your answers. So God began to speak to me, Christian, why is this message so hard for you to preach? I want to give you kind of an internal conversation that I had with God in nearly my 20 years of ministry, almost 18 years of marriage, just counseling with people, being around different types of churches. These are my experiences that kind of shaped why I didn't want to preach it. Christian, why don't you want to preach this message? And my first answer was really simple. God, because wives don't want to submit to their husbands. Not based on the conversations I've had. This is, a, this is kind of a place of tension and conflict. I, I don't want to preach on that. And God said, but Christian, it's based on how wives submit to the Lord. And I just very honestly said, well, then maybe wives don't want to submit to the Lord. Because I've not found that this is a comfortable topic in marriage. And God said to me, but all Christians, men and women, according to Ephesians 5, are supposed to submit to the Lord. So that can't be the problem. And I said, well, then I, I don't want to preach it because I guess Christians don't want to submit to Jesus. I mean, maybe that's at the bottom of all this. Christians just don't want to submit to Jesus. And I I felt like God said, okay, that's something to think about. Why? And in my spirit, I just answered, because people don't want to submit to God. I mean, I think people want God in their life to assist them, to help them, to bless them. But I don't know that anyone has invited God into their life really just to be the master of tell me everything to do. Now, that's just not been my experience with most people. And I thought, I I could preach that. I could preach a message on why Christians don't want to submit to God. But God told me, Christian, you haven't gone deep enough. Why don't Christians want to submit to God? Why don't you want to preach this passage? And I just said, well, God, I just don't don't want to submit to this passage. I'd rather not preach this. Can I not say something else that will encourage people and make them feel good and not have any conflict? I don't want to get any emails after the message. Like, I I just don't want to preach this message. God said, why? And I just very honestly said, because the world has authority problems. And it's not just God. It's the government. It's police officers. It's coaches. It's teachers. It's principals. It's bosses. 
We just don't like authority. We just live in a world that doesn't like authority. And God said, why? And I said, as I began to study the mystery of Ephesians chapter 5, well, maybe it's because Christians haven't learned the gift of spiritual submission. If you have your pen, I want you to underline a circle that word gift. Because Christians haven't learned the gift of spiritual submission. And for me, that's, that's where the conversation ended. I felt like God said, that's it right there. That is the foundation of what you have to get to. That's where you have to begin if you're going to understand how to follow God, love Jesus. And if you're married, love your spouse. Christians have to learn the gift of spiritual submission. And verse 32 says, this is the profound mystery. So what Paul, after Paul talks a little bit about Jesus and marriage, Paul said, here's the mystery. Our attitude about marriage reveals the depth of our relationship with Jesus. We can look at our marriage and it tells us something about how we view Jesus. Marriage is a picture of the gospel. Great marriages are a great picture of the gospel. What is the gospel? It's a word that means good news. What's the good news? That God loves us. And if you really want to evaluate your understanding of how much you understand about God's love. Paul says, look at your marriage because the love you give basically is the love you understand you have received from God. So today we got to talk about the S word, submit. We find it in verse 21. We find it in verse 22. We find it twice in verse 24, submit. We said last week, this word submit, it's a military command in the original Greek language. It means to rank under. It's to allow somebody to have leadership over us. It's to willingly say, I'm going to rank under you. I'm going to submit to you. You have authority in my life. And we said last week, the hardest part of becoming a follower of Jesus is the loss of independence it requires. You see, when you really follow Jesus, you don't just follow Jesus. You trade places with Jesus. He gets to now be in charge of your life while you kind of sit on the sideline. Following Jesus is giving up control of your life to God. Following Jesus is giving up independence of your life to God. Following Jesus is giving up authority to God. And we learn that submission is the Jesus role. Submission is the Jesus role in marriage and in life. We learn what it looks like from Jesus. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn just a few pages to the right to Philippians chapter 2. Because in Philippians chapter 2, we're taught how Jesus viewed relationships. Now, Jesus was never married, so he didn't view his relationship with his spouse this way. But but if you're married, this is going to apply to your spouse. If you're not married, this could apply to your friends. It could apply to your parents. It could apply to the people you work with. This is the Jesus role in relationships, submission. Here's what Philippians 2, starting in verse 5, says. In your relationships with one another. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. More simply put, in relationships, do it like Jesus. In relationships, do it like Jesus. How did Jesus do it? Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. Philippians 2 teaches us that Jesus' example taught us that the goal of a relationship is more important than the roles in a relationship. The goal of a relationship is more important than the roles in the relationship. So if one person has to submit for the goal to be achieved, no big deal. That's the most important thing. And for those of you who are into theology a little bit, this text that I just read in Philippians 2, 5 through 7, it's known in theology as the great kenosis. Kenosis is a Greek word, K-E-N-O-S-I-S, if you want to write it down. Kenosis. It means self-emptying. 
It's a word and a doctrine that says no one could make Jesus do what they wanted him to do, but he willingly was, was willing to do the right thing in order for the goal of the relationship, God connecting to humanity, to be carried out. Jesus was willing to take a role that led to the goal of two people accomplishing something special. It was kind of like a dance. Jesus was willing to submit so that together he and God could do something wonderful. In marriage, like the gospel... What is the gospel? A picture of God's love revealed through Jesus. Marriage, like the gospel, it's a divine dance of submitting, of serving, and celebrating one another with the love of God. It's not really about any one person being in charge. It's two people saying, what role do I need to have for the goal of our marriage, loving each other like Jesus loved us? What role do I need to have for the goal of that to be accomplished? It's like a dance. No, I don't sing, and I don't play instruments, And I'm a really bad dancer. I was just not gifted with the rhythm, uh, the movement of rhythm. My body just doesn't do it well. And Danielle and I got married young. I was 21. She was 19. Our parents obviously helped us pay for the wedding and the reception. And then they they sent us on our honeymoon together. They sent us to Jamaica, an all-inclusive resort where we could just kind of eat all we wanted without having to pay for anything. It was awesome at the age of 21. Um, God forbid. I go back now at almost 40. But it was great. But one of the activities they offered, one of the many free activities they offered was a dance class to learn Jamaican dance. And Daniel's like, oh, we got to take this class. I ain't, ta- I ain't taking a dance class. That's not, I'll go snorkeling, I'll go kayaking, I'll do, a- I-, I don't dance. She's like, please, I want to dance. You know, I want to, she's a high school cheerleader, they dance. She's like, please, I want to dance. I was like, okay, we'll take the Jamaican dance class. And one of the dances they taught us was kind of this weird, exotic, like, looked like kind of an animalistic mating ritual dance where like the wife would be on one side of the room and the husband would be on the other side. And they, the wife would kind of dance towards the husband, and then the husband would dance towards the wife, and then they would dance together, you know, and I guess eventually mate. I, I don't know. It was just it was awkward for me. So I'm not a dancer. It's not in me. So, you know, we go to our positions. There's a lot, several couples in this place, and, you know, they, they start the women. Danielle does the little dance, and they're like, okay, guys, it's your turn now. And I just stood there, and I said, I ain't doing it. Like, I, I am not... I'm not doing it. And like all the guys were in, like, you have to do it. And I was like, nope, I'm out. And I just walked out of the room. I was like, I can't do that. One, my body doesn't move that way. Two, it just feels sinful. I mean, it was like, I, I just, I can't do that. I was uncomfortable with my role in that dance. So I was out. I left. And some of you in here today, when it comes to submitting, you're like, nope, I'm out. If that's my role, Submitting, I'm out. I don't care if the whole line is moving forward. I'm going back to my room. I am not submitting. And we refuse to submit even though it may be the greatest secret to a great marriage or a great friendship. We refuse to submit to each other. We refuse to submit to God. And we refuse to submit to our husbands if we're a wife. Why? Let's go back to the text and look at a couple things. Today, we're going to go back and look at two things. Our first look back is back to the text. What does the Bible really say about this? Flip a few pages to your left. We're in Ephesians chapter 5 again. We're going to start in verse 21. If you have a pen, I want you this time to circle the word submit when you see it. We're only going to read five verses. You're going to see it four times. I want you to circle the word submit. You tell me whether or not it's important in this teaching. Ephesians 5.21, submit. There's the first one. Circle it. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Verse 22, wives, submit. There's number two, circle it. Submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. 
For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he's the Savior. Now as the church submits, there's a third one, circle it. To Christ, so also wives should submit, there's a fourth one, circle it, to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You tell me, can we study this without talking about submit? It's pretty clear. It's right there. You've got to understand it to understand the whole text. But it's interesting because we learn two things about submitting. The first time we're told to, to submit, it's to one another. Like before God ever speaks to an individual about their role, he says, now you need to understand these roles are going to cause you to have to kind of submit to one another. These roles are going to be more about your spouse than about you. So we're warned ahead of time, you got to submit to one another. And here's what the roles of a marriage that looks like Jesus' relationship with God looks like. Wives, your role is going to be to submit. Husbands, your role is going to be to die. And all of a sudden, like husband's like, I'll take submit. Like, you know, like why, why, why do they get to submit? Wives like Jesus are going to, like the church to Jesus is, are going to submit. Husbands like Jesus to the church are going to die. Some of you just immediately thought, I want a Christian marriage. And it's like, you want to submit? You're like, no, I want him dead. Um, listen, don't laugh too hard or he'll think you're serious. Uh, you know, it's like, yeah, I want a Christian marriage. Listen, don't get carried away with either role yet because we're going to unpack them more today. We're going to unpack them more next week. But let me say this just to premise everything we're learning here. Guys, the reason that our wives don't want to follow us all the time is because we don't look like Jesus. We don't love them like Jesus. We don't lead them like Jesus. Like the problem is not with our wife, it's with us. And wives, the reason your husband doesn't want to die to their own life to serve you first is because you don't look very much like Jesus. See, the thing that makes all this work together is two people who submit to Jesus so they can look like Jesus so their spouse will want to serve them like God served his son. Some of you say, man, Christian, in my marriage, my spouse doesn't remind me of Christ. Like, they're probably closer to the Antichrist than Christ. Again, don't laugh too hard or he'll think you're serious. And it's like, you know, I look at my husband, I look at my wife. I don't always see Jesus. I don't ever see Jesus. So how can I ever learn to submit to someone and love them like Jesus when they don't look like Jesus? Well, Paul said that's simple. You have to start, number two, by submitting to the Lord. We learn to submit to one another by first learning how to submit to the Lord. And our willingness to submit is always seen first in our relationship with God. And I think what we learn from Ephesians chapter 5 is this submission thing is not a marriage problem. It's a spiritual problem. It's where we learn that our problem is not with our spouse. Our problem is with ourselves. We don't have a submission gene. Listen. If you were raised in the United States of America, you did not take a class that honored and taught the submission gene. It's not something that's inside of us. I mean, am I the only one who struggled with what I said last week? Like, I'm a learner, not just a leader at this church. Submission does not come naturally to me. Go look at these four statements at the top of your, at the top of your notes again. Was I the only one who didn't put a quick T down for everything when we look at how we submit to the Lord? I have found someone in Jesus that I want to serve for the rest of my life, like blank sheet serve for the rest of my life. It's like, let me think about that one for a minute. I have found someone in Jesus that I trust enough to submit to for the rest of my life in everything. Let's just talk about money. Ten cents of every dollar for the rest of your life. 
you really found someone in Jesus you're willing to, to submit to in that? And then we could add a thousand other things behind it. Really? I found someone in Jesus I'm motivated to sacrifice for because of how they sacrifice for me. Not work on Sunday. Work a late shift on Saturday. Show up Sunday morning to serve the kids in the nursery. Sacrifice because of what Jesus... Really? The rest of your life? Find someone that I'm committed to add value to because their success and our success is more impactful than my success. So the success of God's church is as important to you as the success of your job. I mean, did anyone else look at that list and think, that's a big ask. I mean, that's a lot to commit to. That's a lot of submission. Listen, I was raised in the blue collar hills of Southern Ohio and you didn't make it by submitting. That's not how we were taught to get ahead. That's not how we were taught to make it in life. But here's what I'm learning. I'm on a journey away from my hometown in southern Ohio to a heavenly town called Glory, and it's done differently there. And God's telling me, Christian, I don't care where you came from. I care where you're going, and this is the way it's done here. You're going to learn to submit. It's like, all right, Lord, teach me how to do that. So we go back to our second look. We go back to our example. We go back to our example and we say, okay, I know what the text says. How do I do this? We're going to find in Philippians 2, a life of submitting is always based on trust. Flip over to Philippians chapter 2 again. A life of submitting is always based on trust. We find ourselves back at the great kenosis, K-E-N-O-S-I-S. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Jesus self-emptying of all of his powers, of all of his roles, so that he could complete God's goal of connecting to humanity. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When you read that text together, you realize that submission was Jesus' gift to God that God could then use to exalt his love for humanity. Submission was Jesus' gift to God so God could connect with humanity through his love. Submission wasn't his duty. It wasn't something he had to do. It was something he chose to do. It was his gift. Why? Because the goal of the relationship was more important than the roles in the relationship. And wise, let me say this to you. And I believe I say this with theological soundness after studying Ephesians 5 carefully. I do not believe it's your duty to submit to your husband. I believe it's your gift. In the context of how Paul teaches the church at Ephesus about Jesus' submission to God, and then he teaches the church at Philippi, I don't believe your submission is your duty. If your husband is saying, you submit to me, he doesn't get it. It's your gift to your husband. And here's the deal. When you gift that to your husband, then your marriage becomes a gift to the world that says, look at us, this is how God loves people. Because when God's son gave him the gift of submission, God took Jesus' gift, and he said, no, 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 you're not going to submit, you're going to be exalted. 
Like, I appreciate your willingness to submit, but I'm going to take your gift of submission and I'm going to exalt you to the highest place so that at your name, every tongue in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every knee would one day bow and confess your name. So I appreciate your submission, but I'm going to turn it around and I'm going to exalt you. That is what the gift of submission does in a relationship if you are submitting to someone who loves you like God. And if your husband would be so spiritually honored that he would turn around and say, no, 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 you're not going to submit to me. I'm going to live for you. So together, God is glorified. Well, then I think the world would see marriage differently. I think the world would see Christian marriages different. They would say something's different about that couple than with us. I've never seen a wife so willing to serve her husband and a husband so willing not to accept it but to serve his wife so that kind of each one of them care more about the other than themselves. I've never really seen anything like that. But that's what happens. And you know what? If that happened, our marriages would be a gift that God could use to exalt his love for humanity. Just like Jesus' gift, God used to exalt his love for humanity. Paul's saying one of the mysteries of marriages is God would like to use your marriage to show the world how he loves people. And I think that's what makes weddings so special, honestly. Most people love weddings. I mean, as long as you're not paying for it, most people really enjoy a good wedding. Because at a wedding, we hope for the best. We actually pledge the best. At a, at a wedding, we celebrate and commit to a God-like love, even, even, if, even if we don't eventually keep it. Weddings are pretty important in Scripture. You know the Bible opens with a wedding and closes with a wedding, Genesis 2. We see Adam and Eve come together, Revelation 22. We see Jesus and the church come together. Do you know Jesus did his first miracle at a wedding, proving he was supernatural at a place where God's love would be shown to the world through a wedding? You know when God wanted to choose anything on planet Earth to kind of try to compare his love to God said, here's what you need to know about my love. If you've ever looked at a groom on their wedding day when they see their wife walking down the aisle for the first time in their dress, the way that groom is looking at that wife, that's how I look at you. God could have chosen anything on planet earth to compare his love to. And he said, I want to show you, it's like a wedding. It's like the love two people have at a wedding. And boy, at a wedding, do you listen to what you say, to what people say? This is a little book I use when I do weddings. I've done a lot that are in this room. I'm going to do more that are in this room. And almost everyone says something like this. I'm going to take my spouse from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death, do us part. I'm in all, I'm all in no matter how bad it gets. I pledge myself to you. It's a whole lot of what Ephesians chapter 5 is saying. This type of love and commitment, if we kept it rather than just pledging it, I mean, I think it changed your world, certainly changed your marriage. But somewhere between the wedding altar and today, trust gets violated and all bets are off. For me, it was two weeks. Two weeks after my wedding, Married my best friend, went on a honeymoon, went to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina for a few years with a few days with my mom and dad, came back to college. We bought our first personal home computer back in the 90s. That's what you did. I'd never had a computer in my house before. I'd never had email before. Hooked up email, had one of my college football teammates send me an email link that linked to a porn site. For the first time in my life, I'm looking at internet pornography. Married two weeks in Bible college at my house, not even knowing enough about what I was doing, that after I had scrolled through several sites and had to go to football practice, I turned off the monitor without even turning off the computer, not knowing 
that everything was still on the monitor. And I go to football practice and Daniel comes home and clicks on the computer. And trust was broken like that. I came home to a gal I'd been married to two weeks sitting on the couch crying. And she said, we need to talk. Trust was violated. Say, how long does it take to rebuild? We're still working. I mean, she forgave me immediately. We've had great seasons in ministry, but I think we're still working. A couple years ago when she went to Guatemala for 10 days and she called kind of halfway through and said, like, are you doing okay? Are you tempted with anything? I knew what she meant. And I knew, I knew we we're still working. You know, I, I got some great accountability around me. I got some great friends. I got in a great men's group who said, hey, we're going to be different together, but trust was violated. You know, I preach my messages to my staff before I ever bring them to the church, and then I ask them for feedback for how I can do things better. And this week, we sat in my back office, and I said, should I share that story? I don't know. You know, it's, I, I get embarrassed every time I share it. I'm ashamed of it. Should I share it? And Pastor Scott immediately said, there's some man in our church who your story is finally going to be the wake-up call for him that he needs to kind of just admit, apologize, and, and get accountable. Need to share it. And he hadn't finished speaking for two seconds before Danielle says, and there is some wife who needs to learn how to forgive because it's happened to them and she has locked her husband out of her heart ever since. So yeah, you need to share the story. So maybe it was for you or maybe it's just my story. But the reality is for some of you husbands, your wife would be crazy to submit to you fully because you have violated trust so deeply and you've not even apologized yet. She doesn't know if you care. And wives, for some of you, it's the same thing. You violated trust so deeply and you've not shown a heart that says, I'm so sorry, and I'll do anything to rebuild trust. You see, for this to work like Ephesians 5 says it's supposed to work, marital love has to begin with a trust that leads wives to submit. They trust their husbands enough to say, all right, I'll, I'll follow in key areas. And what we're going to learn next week, ladies is that if you submit to the right type of husband, he's actually going to refuse to lead you. He's going to say, no, 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 you're not going to submit to me. Together we'll submit to God and God will lead us. It's a beautiful picture of spiritual trust in action. But before you trust your husband, you have to learn to trust God. And that's the mystery of Ephesians chapter 5. Paul says, the things that are being revealed in your life through marriage, they're getting really to the heart of God more than to the heart of your spouse. It's about trusting God, not your spouse. In a few weeks, Danielle and I and our two kids will go to Phoenix with my mom and dad for spring training. My mom and dad live just south of Chicago, and we decided 10 years ago that if my kids were going to know my parents like I wanted them to know them, that we were going to have to go on a trip every year together for one week, just me, Danielle, my kids, and mom and dad. And dad was going to take Christian golfing, and mom was going to take Casey to get her nails done. And like, we, I, I just wanted my kids to know my parents since we didn't live in the same city with them. This year will be the 10th year that we go do that, and I can't wait for it. And at the place that we go, we've been going to the same place every year for 10 years. We have really fond memories because at one of the pools there, it's where my kids learn to swim. So every time I walk around the corner of the pool, I, like I flash back in my mind and I see my kids. You remember teaching your kids to swim if you did that? I mean, I remember Christian, he was five, Casey three. They're standing on the edge of the pool, right? They got their swimmies pulled up or a little inner tube around their waist. They got their goggles on or their visors. Christian's bathing suit. Casey always wore like a little bikini and had like this little pop belly, preschool belly. It was just awesome. And remember him standing there dripping weight and you're, you're in the pool and you're like, jump. And I'm like, no. And you're like, jump. I'm like, no. Now, come on, ju jump. I promise I'll catch you. Jump. And they eventually jump. 
not because they believe in their own ability to swim, but they believe their father is going to catch them. And you know what? When God asks us to jump into a marriage, it looks like this. He said, don't do it because you believe in your husband. Don't even do it because you believe in your wife. Do it because you believe in me. I promise you, I'm not going to let you stay underwater so long that you don't survive. I'll bring you up. I promise you, I'm right here. God is saying, jump. Trust me. So if you want to jump, if you're willing to jump, if you're married, what are some practical marriage tips? Let me give you a couple as we close today. One, you've got to build a foundation of trust. You have to realize how important this is in marriage. So how do I do this? First, you've got to learn to stop and pray. Like You've got to learn to stop living as an individual, and you've got to start living as a couple. In the smallest decisions, in the biggest decisions, stop and come together and begin to pray about things, even if it's simply like, all right, God, not sure what to do here. Help us. Amen. Learn to stop and pray. What this shows your spouse is, I'm not going to do anything without you. Begins to build a foundation of trust. I'm not going to make any important decisions without you. We're going to stop and pray. If you can't do that, ask God for direction or ask those who know him better than you. So I don't know what God would want us to do here, but I know this person who goes to our church, he seems to know the Bible pretty well. I'm going to ask him. Not sure what I'm supposed to do here, but I got a lady in my ladies group that I'm going to ask her. Slow down enough to let God and your spouse be in your marriage together. And then thirdly, don't violate trust. If you haven't yet, God bless you. Don't violate trust. However, if you have, number two, you have to tear out the foundation of mistrust. If your relationship with anyone in your life is built on a foundation of mistrust, it's not going to work. So what do we do if trust has been violated, Christian? You've been there. What do you do? Number one, you have to address and forgive violated trust. You can't ignore it. You've got to address it. We talked at the marriage retreat about you know, having key communication time. So don't address it right when you're going to bed. Don't call your spouse while they're at work. But let them know, hey, I need to talk to you for an hour and address what happened that a violated trust and forgive violated trust, remembering that forgiveness is a choice, not an emotion. If you wait until you feel like you're ready to forgive, you'll never forgive. Forgiveness is a choice. It's not an emotion. I'm going to choose to forgive. And then I'm going to welcome trust-building boundaries, which means the party who's been violated gets to set the new boundaries for trust. I have a friend who to this day carries a flip phone. Because he violated his wife's trust with his smartphone. And it is so annoying when I'm with him and he pulls it out and flips it open. And he's like sending a text and he has to press every button like four times. And sometimes he goes past the right letter. It's like, Lord, just I'll, I'll text him. What do, you want me to, what do you want me to say to him? Like, man, why don't you get a real phone? He said, because my wife doesn't worry when I have this one. All right, I got it. You're rebuilding boundaries that give trust. And then finally, give it time, but don't ignore it. Why do you have to give it time? Because pain takes a while to heal. But why can't you ignore it? Because the things you ignore get bigger, not smaller. Did y'all read a couple weeks ago about Roger Logan? 57-year-old guy from Mississippi who had a 140-pound tumor removed from his stomach. Anybody read about that? 140 pounds. It's like the size of my freshman son. He'd been bound to a chair for five years. He could not get out of a chair. And they told him, you're just gaining weight. Nothing wrong with you, just gaining weight. He finally went to a doctor that said, no, actually, this is a benign tumor, and we can take it off. They took him and his chair on an airplane to California to do the surgery. They say, you got a 50-50 chance. He lived. And you know what they said the source of this 140-pound tumor was? It was an ingrown hair. 
Some of you are like, I'm going to go home and get the tweezers. I'm like, well, it's like, what? Yeah. Yeah. It was an ingrown hair that left alone, turned into an infection, and started growing its own cells. And voila, you got a 140-pound tumor hanging off of you. And then you're stuck. Some of you are stuck. Something small happened in your past. You didn't address it. And it's grown into something so big right now that you're, like your marriage is stuck. It ain't moving without major surgery. And if you need that, you need to contact our church. We got pastors that can meet with you. We got counselors we can direct you to. If you're stuck, let us help. Sometimes you have to bring in a skilled surgeon to begin to cut away at things. And for those of you who are still divorced, do you know you need to learn how to rebuild trust? Not with your ex but just with humanity, there are, some, there are some people who their divorce is going to cause them to never trust anyone again ever because trust was violated. And even though the person is gone, the wound remains. And I'm telling you, if you're in here and you're divorced and your trust was violated, you need to heal that wound so you can move forward and be the mother you need to be, so you can move forward and be the father you need to be, so you can move forward and be the friend you need to be. We've got a divorce care group that meets every Sunday night at six o'clock. If your trust has been violated and you've been struggling moving forward from your divorce, come tonight, six o'clock in our small multi-purpose room. I believe God can bring healing. And listen, some of you are single for the exact same reason. Somebody violated something in your past so deeply, you said, I will never trust anyone again. And that, you know, it's safer to be alone than to be with somebody that I can't trust. And some broken trust from the past is now governing your life. And I want to say this. If you're here and you're with somebody but you're not married yet, and your relationship right now has a foundation of mistrust, stop. Don't get married. Don't get engaged. Don't buy the ring. Put everything on hold. If you're in a relationship with someone and the foundation is broken trust, stop. Heal that part first and then move forward because I promise you, it only gets harder as you go. And you say, what happens if I can do all that? Number three, you submit to God's plan for your marriage. You submit to God's plan for your marriage. And listen to me, if you're sitting here saying, I can't do that. My question to you is why? Seven times, my question to you is why? You're saying, I cannot do what you're saying. My question is why? Seven times, why? Because the Apostle Paul says at the end of the day, what has happened is something spiritual inside your soul. It really has nothing to do with marriage. It's something that's gone on in your soul that only Jesus can heal. That's the profound mystery of marriage. It exposes our soul. So I want to invite you today with maybe your soul laid open a little bit to just bow your heads with me and close your eyes.